You are listening to a podcast from The National. This week, Jordan and Syria opened their border for the first time in three years. The decision promises to restore the possibility for movement of both goods and people between the two countries. Jordan plays host to a large number of Syrian refugees and migrants, many of whom fled the carnage when the war broke out seven years ago. Others have worked for decades between the two borders, trading produce, medicine, and other goods. Beyond the direct bilateral implications, opening the Nasib crossing sets a precedent for the other borders in Syria. Of the five borders Syria shares with its neighbors, three remain partially or completely closed. Historically, Syria's geographic location has allowed it to function as a trading hub of sorts and an integral link in the trade network leading from Lebanon and Turkey all the way to the Arabian Gulf. However, opening borders might help legitimize Syrian President Bashar al-Assad and work to dispel the atrocities he's been responsible for since the war broke out in 2011. What does the border opening mean for both Syria and Jordan politically? How will this change the fate of the 1.4 million Syrian refugees in Jordan? And Is this the first step towards the international Syrian diaspora returning home? This is Beyond the Headlines. I am Nasr al-Wesmi. Taylor Luck is a journalist and analyst who's worked out of Amman, Jordan's capital, for the last 12 years. He was at the border opening earlier this week and witnessed thousands of Syrians stepping foot back home. He joined us from Amman to discuss the border opening and describe the scene to us from his perspective. Well, I mean, I think, you know, I I saw basically two scenes. I mean, I think we saw basically an outpour of joy, I mean, from Syrians who are having a chance to go back to their homeland for the first time in some cases seven years. Uh, And also, you know, relief from Jordanians, uh, especially along the border region, whose entire livelihoods is connected with the free movement of trade and people between Jordan and Syria. It has been, uh, in some cases, for over a century. Uh, So it was basically a combination of relief and joy uh, and a little bit of curiosity. I mean, there were also uh, Jordanians that came up from different towns just kind of coming to see, you know, see it for themselves. Like, you know, uh, hard to believe that a border with a country that has been torn apart by war for so many years was finally going to be open. Uh, You know, within the, the last, you know, checkpoint and, and the customs section and, and the passport stamping, literally there were Syrians who were recording the whole scenes, uh, you know, uh, using live feeds via WhatsApp or Facebook to show their relatives, people kissing each other and hugging. Uh, so it really was a, a sense of relief and a sense of celebration. Whenever you have a border that gets shut down uh, and reopened, you have instances of families reuniting. Was that the case yesterday? Uh, that was definitely the case yesterday. I mean, there were families, uh, or, or I'm sorry, there were people coming to visit their families in Dara that they haven't seen in, in, in seven years. And of course, Dara is literally a few miles or, or a few kilometers over from the Jordanian border. Uh, and in some cases, these are families that have been split uh, even before the war. I mean, because these are families that are have relatives on the Jordanian side and the Syrian side. And so the fact that they're going to see, uh, I met one man who's going to see his mother, who's 75 years old, hadn't seen her uh, in nearly 10 years. And he's breathing his son, who was eight years old, who was born in Jordan, actually never had set foot onto Syrian soil before. And he was meeting his grandmother and his uncles for the first time. Uh, so really, you get a sense of how this war has, you know, uh, 
torn families apart, also erected barriers between families, whether it be between Jordan and Syria, whether it be between uh, the Middle East and Europe. Uh, so I think this is a very small step towards uh, some family reunifications and some healing. Let's break it up into two parts. So I want to know, what does this mean for Syria and does it play at all in the conflict? I mean, I think, first of all, I think for Syria, this is very much uh, a moral victory uh, and an economic one. Uh, I think, you know, the fact that they're having one, their major uh, you know, trade routes reopen, especially with Jordan, it's basically them being reaccepted into the international fold. Uh, it's them being accepted as a legitimate actor after seven years of being a pariah state. Uh, and economically, I mean, it's... It's huge for, for Syria and Jordan. I think, you know, for Syria, I mean, basically, it's their access to not only Jordan, but to the Gulf, to Saudi Arabia. Uh, and it's also, you know, to have uh, goods flow from Turkey and Lebanon through Jordan. Syria also benefits from that. Uh, and also, you know, vice versa, having uh, uh, materials coming in from Jordan, you know, that would play a big role in terms of reconstruction. I don't think the benefits will be overnight. I don't think it'll be in, in a year or two years even. Uh, but I think that the fact that Syria is now being seen as, you know, a legitimate government with a legitimate border, with legitimate, uh, you know, um, passport stamping process, allowing people in. I think it's a moral victory for the regime. And I think over the years, uh, you know, it will pay big dividends for the reconstruction. And then from the Jordanian side, Jordan has been host to one of the largest numbers of Syrian refugees since the conflict started. They've had a huge influx of Syrians coming in. So now that presumably many of them are leaving, what does that mean for Jordan or a city like Amman? Well, here's the thing. It, it looks like on paper that it, you know, it opens the way for returns. Uh, but I don't think that's going to be anytime soon. I don't think many people are expecting that. I mean, the border was open yesterday. And I think in the first 12 hours, a total of 37 Syrians went to Syria. And everyone I spoke to, they were just going for a visit. You know, they weren't going back, uh, relocating home. They're just going to check in on relatives, go back to Damascus, check on their businesses, uh, and come back. Uh, I think there's a real sense among Syrians here in Jordan that, uh, first of all, I mean, stability has not returned to their home country. Uh, second of all, uh, I think many of them are blacklisted by the government, and they have no real reassurances that if they go back that their safety will be assured, uh, their properties will be returned, or they won't be forcibly conscripted into the army. Uh, so there's a lot of skepticism surrounding uh, returns. In fact, uh, according to the UN, I think there was a total of 17,700 Syrians who returned in 2016 and 2017. Uh, this year, a total of 700 returned from Jordan to Syria and none since June. So I think it's very clear that this population, this community, uh, which has completely transformed lives, uh, life here in Jordan, they're not coming back uh, anytime soon. You mentioned... Uh the, 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 the drop-off and the amount of Syrians returning to the country. Is there any reason why? I think security uh, is a big reason. I mean, I think that there were, you know, hopes uh, maybe two years ago, a year and a half ago, uh, that perhaps, um, you know, I think some of the returns went to rebel-controlled areas where there were so-called safe zones, whether it be in the south or in the north. Some obviously uh, went back to regime-held territory in Damascus. I think people realized... Um, you know, in recent months that these uh, free zones were not established in good faith. And I think also a major factor is the fact that uh, 
the Syrian army is desperate for recruits and, and they're trying to find any way to conscript people uh, into the army. So I think there's a lot of fear among young men that if they go back, they're going to end up in a, in a Syrian army uniform. I think that's one of the major ones. And you mentioned earlier that there was uh, some concerns from Syrians who were outside of the country that upon their return, they might be conscripted into the military. Uh, you know, Syria has always had that policy. And Bashar al-Assad has mentioned that that would be taken care of, but he hasn't been completely clear. What is the status of that? And are there any cases of Syrians returning and then being conscripted into the military? Well, in terms of you know, individual cases, that there's talk. You know, you hear stories talking to Syrians that you know that they heard their cousin's friend or their cousin, you know, went back and and um, you know within within a week that they were on the front lines. Uh, also, I mean, there's stories of of you know Syrian rebel fighters who ended up you know switching sides to take uh, advantage of the amnesty deal and now are fighting with with the regime. It's very unclear uh, in terms of what's policies are being acted by, by the government, it seems like it's very ad hoc. And I think that's one reason why Syrians are very apprehensive. They don't really see a clear policy. Uh, you know, they hear about an amnesty deal, but then they also hear that, you know, military service is still required. So um, also university students are, are finding that, you know, former restrictions are being lifted in order to encourage university students to join the military service, which previously was, uh, you, know, a, you know, a get out of army free card. Uh, so I think the fact that it's very um, ad hoc has left a lot of people confused and a lot of people, you know, hesitant. When I spoke to uh, some of the refugees in Dara a couple of years ago, their biggest day-to-day concern was the, the deserts that they were living in was such a stark difference to the, the lush green land of Syria. And that is actually an indication of the amount of uh, produce. And I think you mentioned this earlier that is being transported. But I was just wondering, what else might this border opening bring uh, in terms of trade between the two countries? Well, historically, I mean, uh, I mean, even recently, I mean, it, it was very big uh, uh, conduit for uh, pharmaceuticals, for example. I mean, Syria had a pharmaceutical industry, but Jordan has a very strong pharmaceutical industry. So, uh, you know, medicines, it's a very big uh, uh, commodity, as well as electronics, um, furniture, Garments and, and and clothes because Syria has you know long history of having uh, you know uh, fine cloths and, and garments and textiles um, so it, it's very it's almost anything you could you could think of is going to be transported back and forth um, also for Jordan imports things through Aqaba can take up to Syria and vice versa and um, you know and also don't forget Lebanese goods as well is going to have a chance to go through this border so Lebanese goods going through Syria Syria will get a little uh, you know. Um, some money off of that for every single Lebanese truck that goes through. And, and, you know, the bulk of Lebanese exports goes to Kuwait, the UAE, Saudi Arabia, uh, through this border. Um, So, I mean, and also when we talk about produce, it's also both sides. I mean, obviously, Dara, I mean, this Horan region, which is uh, southern Syria and parts of northern Jordan, is the most fertile uh, breadbasket of the Levant. So basically, I mean, these agricultural produce will have a chance to get to the Gulf, also, Jordan will have a chance to send things up to Syria, uh, depending on the season. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a huge win, basically, for farmers on both sides. In the article that you wrote for us uh, this week, you mentioned that uh, the Syrians that had migrated or had seeked asylum in Jordan were uh, working in the informal economy, uh, undercutting a lot of the uh, jobs that Jordanians might have taken before. 
is there some sort of respite for in Jordan in Amman that perhaps they can uh, they can get some of their jobs back considering that uh, unemployment is so high now that Syrians might be leaving their country well that i mean that would require a very large uh, return uh, or large migration back into Syria which i don't think is in the cards for any time soon uh, a lot of these jobs that Syrians are taking it's you know tends to be day jobs whether it be in a, in a bakery working in a restaurant, uh, construction, farm work. Uh, and so just the, the pure numbers have driven wages down. So I mean, I think we'd have to have you know, a mass migration back and it'll still take a, a while for, for wages to go back up because the issue is these Syrians were partially subsidized by the UN and the international community. So they could afford to work for, you know, five JD or seven US dollars a day. And a lot of times they had no other choice because they weren't uh, legal. Uh, but at the same time, as you mentioned, Jordan has an 18.7% unemployment rate. And we're also seeing a new phenomenon in Jordan where Jordanians who would normally, you know, avoid working in a restaurant, for example, or being a gas station attendant, they're taking those jobs now. I mean, they have no other choice. And I think with the young generation, they have a new attitude towards, you know, a hard day's work that's outside of your specialty, whether you've studied law or, or engineering or medicine. You'll, you'll see, you know, medical students driving a taxi or uh, cleaning tables in a restaurant, which you would never see before. So I think uh, now more than ever, Jordan needs to have uh, those type of jobs back in the hands of Jordanians. But I think it's going to take about a three, four year period. When you see Syria on a map, it shares a border with five other countries. And I'm just wondering, uh, what is the status of the other borders? And if they're shut, is this going to set a precedent or perhaps be the experiment by which other countries will base their decision on? Well, I think you're correct. This may be kind of an experiment in a way. I mean, currently, obviously, the borders with Turkey are, are closed. The border uh, with Iraq, Abu Kamal, is still closed, although that there's been a, a lot of talk between the Iraqi and Syrian governments to reopen it. In fact, uh, yesterday, the Iraqi foreign minister was in Damascus, uh, and that was one of the main subjects of, of discussions. So currently now, the only borders that are open is the Jordan border, uh, the Lebanon border uh, to the west is partially open. Uh, there's still, it's unclear in terms of what regulations are needed, but apparently that border has uh, been partially reopened. And also the border with the Golan Heights, which is controlled by the UN, uh, contested territory. Uh, but in terms of you know, a fully functioning border, uh, the only one is the Nasib Jabir border with Jordan. And I think obviously, I think Turkey especially will be looking at this closely uh, to see not only how successful it is, but also, you know, if they can get a piece of the pie, basically, if they can get, take part of this cross-border trade. Because for Turkey, uh, Jordan is a major destination for its exports. It's, it's, there's some crazy uh, trade balance. Uh, it's over a billion dollars per year. So if Turkey can get its goods to Jordan over land rather than by sea, that would be a big victory for them. And obviously the Gulf as well. Uh, so I think Turkey is probably watching this closely to think uh, when they can start opening that up. But I think the Iraqi border will be next. And then the Turkish border. I think it'll be very soon that we'll start to see, um, you know, resumption of trade across the Levant. Well, they're officially closed, but how permeable are they? That's a good question. Uh, it depends what uh, government is on the other side, what forces are on the other side. I think, I think you know, uh, Turkey's border was pretty permeable for a while, but once they stepped up their military involvement, it's been, you know, much more strict. I mean, obviously, you must know in terms of how many people and journalists have gotten in and out of northern Syria, but that's, those days are over. 
Jordan uh, was was permeable for a few months, but it, they they cracked down pretty well. So that border's been pretty well sealed. Really, the most open border is the ones with Iraq and Lebanon, um, just because of the lack of, of full security on either side. Well, speaking of Lebanon, uh, again, looking at it from a geopolitical point of view, they they were actually somewhat landlocked in terms of land uh, trade routes, uh, with Syria not having a border open with Jordan. What kind of trickle effect is it going to have on Lebanon now that it has an avenue to Jordan and uh, Saudi Arabia and the rest of the GCC now that the border with Jordan is open? I think it gives them a lot of breathing room. Uh, I think the uh, what was the statistics from the the Farmers Association that their uh, you know overall agricultural exports dropped from 1.5 billion tons to 350 million. Uh, or maybe it was 1.5 million, 350,000, but it dropped by 75% due to the Syrian crisis. Uh, overall exports, uh, almost half of Lebanon's exports go to the GCC countries. Uh, and they all went through, or the majority went through via Jordan. So I think this gives a lot of breathing room for Lebanon, as, as everyone well knows, has, has been having economic difficulties in addition to political difficulties. Um, and I think this is you know, a, a much welcome step I think that this might be, you know, I think it gives breathing room for both you know, the government and, and for the, the private sector. And I think that, you know, after years of, of kind of holding out and trying to hold a neutral stance, I think it's paying off for Lebanon. And Taylor, if you were to predict what's next in terms of this border opening and maybe the reaction of some of these Syrians living in Jordan, I mean, what would you think would be the next step for them to uh, fully realize and be confident in the fact that they can return home? I would think considering that, I think it's twofold. Considering that the majority of, of Syrians in Jordan are from either the south or from a town such as Idlib and Homs, I think that they need to see the situation stabilize in the south and they need to see a final solution on Idlib. Uh, so if there is some sort of final settlement on Idlib and, and they see that the days of Syrian uh, government um, offenses and sweeps through the region uh, and, and barrel bombing is over, that would be a big step uh, towards encouraging returns. And also with the South, where it's been a little, um, let's say, unstable, you know, unstable in recent days, uh, recent weeks, actually, since the Syrian offensive. Uh, so I think they're looking to see on the ground uh, some form of, of stability, some form of local governance in the South and in the North, just know that the protection uh, is assured. Um, so if they see those two steps resolved uh, and the border remains open and they hear news of, of friends or relatives that have gone to Damascus and come back, gone to Dara and come back and no one's disappearing, I think slowly those will be confidence building steps that will start seeing you know, more and more Syrians uh, to head home. I mean, one major factor that will lead to them returning is the economic situation in Jordan. Uh, the uh, Economist Intelligence Unit uh, ranked Amman as the most expensive city in the Arab world. And in terms of cost of living versus uh, average salaries, it's more expensive than San Francisco or London. Uh, so you have these Syrian families that are, most of them are in the cities. 80% are in the cities in Jordan. Uh, the cost of living is rising. Rents are rising. And whatever jobs they can find are low paying. And, and pretty soon the aid is going to dry up. The UN is facing a, a budget crisis and they might cancel their cash assistance program at the end of this month. So if you have a combination of confidence-building measures in Syria, an open border, 
expensive life in Jordan, and all of a sudden your aid is gone, I mean, that uh, return looks a lot better, I think, for a lot of Syrian families. All right, Taylor, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks again. Appreciate it. Read Taylor Luck's coverage on our website, thenational.ae. I'd like to thank him for joining the show. I'd also like to thank Kevin Jeffers for producing. You can find this and all the other national podcasts on our website. You can subscribe to be on the headlines for free and receive new episodes every week. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Audioboom, or your favorite podcasting app. I've been your host, Nasr al Thank you for listening and goodbye.